From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Nearly a year ago, George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis. His death sparked a resurgence in the Black Lives Matter movement. Over the last three weeks, the world watched and waited as one of the most significant trials in recent history took place. On Wednesday, his murderer was found guilty. Today, journalist Mary Maguire on the trial of Derek Chauvin, the verdict and the future of the movement against police violence. Mary, you're a journalist from Minneapolis who's been following the trial of Derek Chauvin and you're there now in Minneapolis. I'm wondering if we can start by getting a sense of what it's been like in the city over the past few days. I think everyone was just watching and waiting. I mean, my friends were turning on the notifications uh, on their cell phones, making sure that they um, would know the second that a verdict was in. There was another uh, police killing that happened um, just more than a week ago, less than a few miles away from the courthouse where this is taking place. A man named Dante Wright was uh, killed at a traffic stop. So I think that that really added to the tension in the Minneapolis area because you have a city that's already on edge and is already dealing with the death of a Black man in the hands of police. And then it happens yet again while this court case is going on. I've been covering news in Minneapolis uh, for a long time. I covered the trial of Philando Castile, another extremely uh, publicized officer-involved shooting. I also covered um, the case of Mohammed Noor and uh, the killing of Justine Ruzchak Damon, who was from Australia. And I've never seen the type of outcry that came from the death of George Floyd. Mm. Can you take me back to that incident, to George Floyd's killing in May last year? Yes. Um, So George Floyd, he was in South Minneapolis. He stopped by a convenience store called Cup Foods, and he stopped there to buy cigarettes. And uh, he was accused of using a fake $20 bill to buy cigarettes. And from there, uh, the store clerk called the police, and police claimed that he was resisting arrest. And he was taken into what's called the prone position, which is lying on your stomach with your hands handcuffed behind your back. And from there, uh, he began screaming that he could not breathe. He said that he was dying. He cried out to his mom. And that moment is the one that so many of us know. Um, It was recorded on video by a bystander, Darnella Frazier. And it was such a raw, visceral moment. And um, George Floyd uh, died as a result. Of course, that sparked just global protests across the United States. From Washington's newly named Black Lives Matter Plaza to San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. Really the largest civil rights um, movement that we've seen since the 60s. Waves of peaceful protests marched on bigger than ever before. No more silence. The action was swift. 
Police Chief Madaria Arredondo fired Derek Chauvin the next day, and those calls for justice and for him to be charged with murder grew, and that happened shortly after. So uh, Derek Chauvin was charged with second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and also second-degree manslaughter. So really a, a wide range of charges. Mm. And so the trial itself, it went for three weeks. What were some of the defining moments? Yeah, so I think um, one of the big ones, at least for me, came from Christopher Martin. Uh, Christopher Martin, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P. He was the young man who was working at Cup Foods who actually called the police on George Floyd in the first place, and we heard about his regret. At this point, um, I think I was just kind of emotional, and I went to the African-American that was standing there in the curb, and I was just like, like, they're not going to help him. This is what we have to deal with, so... There was a store policy at Cub Foods that said that if a clerk were to take a counterfeit bill that if they found out it was counterfeit, then that money would be taken out of their check. And you could just feel the guilt that he felt because really it was that 911 call that tipped all of this uh, into motion. And he just felt overridden with guilt. We saw you standing there with your hands on your head for a while, correct? Correct. What was going through your mind during that time period? Uh, uh, disbelief and guilt. Okay. Why guilt? Um, if I would have just not taking the bill. This could have been avoided. I think having the rank and file at a police department come out and say that what Chauvin did was totally wrong and completely admonishing it was was very powerful. Now, sir, um, based upon your review of all of the information that you just mentioned, um, do you believe that the defendant followed dep- departmental policy 5-304 regarding de-escalation? I absolutely do not agree with that. And uh, Chief Madeira Arredondo, he's, he was very measured in his testimony. Police chiefs traditionally don't testify in cases like this. So I think it was very significant for the jury to hear from him. And when we talk about uh, the framework of our sanctity of life, and when we talk about the principles and values that we have, that that action um, goes contrary to uh, to what we're taught. And the defense, their main argument, the argument of attorney Eric Nelson, was really to raise doubts about George Floyd's cause of death. So in your opinion, uh, both uh, the heart disease as well as the history of hypertension and the drug uh, the drugs that were in his system played a role in Mr. Floyd's death? In my opinion, yes. The closing statements, uh, they were extremely long. They lasted for nearly five and a half hours. And uh, really the line that uh, I took away from all of it was that... You were told, um, for example, that Mr. Floyd died because his heart was too big. You heard that testimony. And now having seen all the evidence, having heard all the evidence, you know the truth. And the truth of the matter is that the reason George Floyd is dead is because Mr. Chauvin's heart was too small. And then once we found out that a jury, uh, the jury had reached a verdict, people started flocking to downtown Minneapolis, really kind of the center of commerce in the city. That's where the courthouse is. And people were watching on their phones. They were 
you know, streaming uh, the live stream of the verdict, um, really just watching with bated breath. Um, there was so much anxiety in the air. And then every every major broadcast network, every cable news network, ESPN, every radio station, every single TV station that you can imagine uh, broke into regular programming on Tuesday for live coverage of the verdict. A jury in Minneapolis has found former police officer Derek Chauvin guilty. So there you have it, less than 10 minutes uh, guilty on all three counts. Guilty on second degree murder, third degree murder and manslaughter. Justice has been served. And um, you can see the reaction from the crowd, how America feels. The jury did find uh, the former police officer, Derek Chauvin, guilty on all charges. And uh, the crowd outside of the government center in downtown Minneapolis really erupted in applause. There was a lot of tears a lot of sighs of relief outside of the courthouse. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Mary, you've been describing the reaction on the ground in Minneapolis to the verdict, but can you tell me a bit about what the response has been more broadly across the United States? Of course. I think that this this case has been unprecedented on so many levels. And one of the ways that uh, I've seen that kind of play out is the response from national figures across the country. Today, a jury in Minnesota found former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin guilty on all counts. I've never heard, really, a president weigh in on a verdict and a court case like this. But President Joe Biden, he praised the guilty verdict. It was a murder in the full light of day, and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see the systemic racism the vice president just... And he said that it was too rare to deliver basic accountability for black Americans, so many black Americans who have been killed with interactions with police. The knee on the neck of 
justice for black Americans, profound fear and trauma, the pain, the exhaustion that black and brown Americans experience every single day. He also called uh, the Floyd family after that uh, verdict was rendered. He's been in touch with the Floyd family throughout this, and he told them that the evidence against Chauvin was overwhelming. We also saw figures who have been prominent in the civil rights uh, community here in America speak out. And this is an assurance to them that if we don't give up, that we can win some rounds. But the war and the fight is not over. Al Sharpton was in town, also the Reverend Jesse Jackson, and of course, um, Benjamin Crump, who is the Floyd family attorney. You just had so many people from so many different realms of society weighing in on this. I mean, sports teams. It was a bittersweet moment that justice was served, but it was served at the cost of a life. Politicians, celebrities. I started crying and I could, I was. I did not expect to be that emotional or still this emotional about it and i am everyone seemed to be watching and waiting for this verdict and um a lot of them celebrated once it was announced so i think part of it is is it is a kind of relief and a releasing for all the people who didn't get to hear guilty we're told that uh sentencing will happen in about eight weeks so two months the legal experts that I've been uh, listening to think that it will be definitely more than 12 and a half years, but less than that maximum sentence of uh, 40 years. And I think the next step really is in August, the other three Minneapolis, former Minneapolis police officers that were on the scene with uh, Derek Chauvin that May Day, Thomas Lane, J. Alexander King, and Tu Tao, they will go on trial in August. So a lot of people are watching, are going to be watching that case as well. Mm. And this verdict is obviously significant in terms of delivering justice for George Floyd and for his family. But as you as you say, the movement that surged after his killing, that's always been about these fundamental structural changes to policing and to inequality. So where is the US at with that? Is there a sense that this kind of structural change is happening? Yeah, I think that's that's the fear of a lot of people because, yes, this happened and there was a guilty verdict now, but a lot of people are wondering what systemic changes will be put into place to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We saw some small changes on, um, you know, the city level here in Minneapolis after the death of George Floyd. Chokeholds were banned, uh, things like that, but um, really no concrete monumental changes to policing. There were some small steps taken to defund the police department, um, also steps taken by the Minneapolis City Council to abolish the police department. But uh, I think really the calls now that I've been hearing is this can't be the end in the fight towards justice and in the fight towards police reform. Um, it It can't happen again. It feels like there's momentum to do this, but it's felt like there's been momentum to do this after every high profile police killing involving um, a person of color. So I think time will really tell whether those words will move into action. And ultimately, a lot of this falls, uh, you know, in the laps of the the legislators here on the state level and also on, uh, you know, countrywide. So we'll have to wait and see if they um, vote to enact change and want to put those measures in place on a policy level. But... 
I think there's also just a real deep sense of sadness, you know? Um, of course, a lot of people were hoping for this guilty verdict, but in the same breath, um, George Floyd died. And he was, I think, watching that video again and again in court for the last really month has been re-traumatizing for a lot of people. And of course, after, you know, the days after George Floyd's death in May, to see our city torn apart um, by riots and by violence was was very devastating for a lot of people. I've heard from a lot of people, you know, this isn't the Minnesota that I know. This isn't the Minnesota that I'm proud of. And I think there's there's a sense of relief, but there's a sense of sadness that this happened in the first place. And then again, like I mentioned, uh, the killing of Dante Wright uh, in the midst of this trial, I think that that really emphasized uh, to people that things need to change and this is still happening. Mary, thank you so much uh, for talking to me about this today. Thank you so much for having me. Since 1991, more than 470 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died in custody in Australia. There have been no convictions in relation to any of those deaths. Right now, two serving police officers are awaiting trial after being charged with the murder of Aboriginal people. 19-year-old Kumanjai Walker was allegedly shot dead by a police officer in the community of Yundamu in the Northern Territory in 2019. In the same year, a young woman known as JC was allegedly shot dead in Geraldton in Western Australia. 7am will be following both of those trials. Andrew Hagen's latest Caledonian Road explores one man's epic fall from grace. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew to discuss this and the state of modern Britain. All that and more, wherever you listen. Also in the news today, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has spoken about the death of Kelly Wilkinson on the Gold Coast this week, saying in Parliament that she wanted justice to be served. The remains of the 27-year-old woman were found in the backyard of her home on Tuesday morning. Her estranged husband has been charged with murder and breaching a domestic violence order. And the Australian government has intervened to scrap a controversial trade agreement between Victoria and China. Foreign Minister Maurice Payne said the agreement was not in the national interest. The Chinese embassy in Australia said the decision was unreasonable and provocative. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Elle Marsh, Atticus Basto, Michelle Macklem and Cinnamon Nippard. Ryan Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Follow us in your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.